Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, happy Tuesday to you. It is the Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. Good morning and uh, welcome to the program. You can also find us, of course, on the interwebs every morning at MichaelDukeShow.com, where we have the audio-only live stream going on. And, of course, uh, links to our social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, etc. And uh, we're out there doing it. Uh, good morning, and thank you for uh, being part of it today. I uh, would love to see uh, you guys join us in the chat room today to talk about anything that you feel worthy of talking about we got lots of topics. I see Kevin McCabe is early up in the chat room this morning, and he's telling us that the one of the first things we're going to be seeing today is at 8 a.m., Representative Josephson is going to be presenting HB 22 to the Community and Regional Affairs Committee. It will be providing defined benefits for law enforcement officers and EMS retroactive to 2006. <laughs> That's, of course, a revenue-neutral bill, I'm sure. I'm sure that that is revenue-neutral. Back to 2006. 18 years. What is that? 18? 16 years <clears throat> of, of, of back pay to uh, 17 years to back pay uh, for defined benefits for law enforcement and EMS, which, you know, is just, again, the camel's nose under the tent on this kind of stuff, but hey, you know, oh, 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 baby. So that happens at 8 a.m. this morning in the Community and Regional Affairs Committee. I'm sure you can watch that on Gavel to Gavel. Uh, so that's uh, that's like first thing right in the a.m. See, this is the kind of information you get when you're in the chat room. Uh, and uh, lots of good lots of good conversations going on over there uh, on Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show or uh, on YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash Michael Duke Show. Um, okay. Well, uh, today is uh, Tuesday. And Tuesday means the weekly top three. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets is going to be coming on board and joining with us today. And we got some got some interesting topics. Interesting topics for today including how economist Ed King is hitting a home run in one of his uh, little blog posts and articles. Uh, it's it's very definitive. It's you read this and you're like, oh man, that's a if you ever need a if you ever need a primer or a uh, uh, a 60 second elevator pitch on what the permanent fund is and why it works, he's got it right there. Also the most intriguing thing about the house organization that uh, you may not know about. And finally, how the governor, 
Can't have it both ways. That's the weekly top three this week. In hour two, we'll recap and discuss some of what we talk about with Brad. And then we will get our weekly positivity boost and life coaching lesson from our PMA, our own personal, this is my own personal PMA guru, uh, Chris Story. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be coming on board with us and, uh, and sharing with us and making us feel Better about ourselves, just better about life, better about, you know, doing stuff and things. And um, it'll be fun. It's going to be it's going to be an enjoyable show today. Today is going to be a good day for you. I guarantee it. I'm speaking that into existence for you because, you know, we all need a we all need a good day now and then. Um, all right. So, uh, we, I guess we could, we could crash right into, uh, we could crash right into it with the headlines. Um, the governor last night, uh, had the state of the state, uh, address. I don't know if any of you caught that or watched it. I have not watched it. I'll be honest with you. I've not watched the whole thing, but I have seen some of the highlights and, uh, Uh, talked about, uh, you know, looked at some of the things that uh, he has been discussing. Uh, I will say the reaction, I would say the most, again, having not watched it in total, and I had a bad radio host, but, you know, life, it's just how it is. Life happens. I will say that the reaction from uh, certain members of the legislature is enough to make me go, really? Um, The governor uh, strongly supported, in fact, the must-read article uh, says, Governor of the state of Alaska, Dunleavy, thanks Alaskans for holding strong through fires, storm, landslides, pandemics, and then goes off script to deliver a strong pro-life message. Now, I don't know if you could really believe that the governor was not prepared and planned to go on to this message, but maybe, maybe um, that's the, I mean, that's kind of the, the take from uh, downing on this. Um, and we've got the whole, we've got the whole, in fact, she has the entire speech laid out um, on her website. If you want to actually go read it and read through it, she's got the full transcript of the uh of the leg- of the uh, speech, the state of the state speech, um, on uh, on her website. I'll post that up in the chat room for folks, so they don't have to go find it for themselves. But uh, <clears throat> I just I don't think I don't think that uh, somehow I just don't think that he just went off script and said, "Oh, by the way, I, we want to be the most pro life state in the nation." Somehow, yeah. Somehow, I just don't think that that was. I think that that's wishful thinking on the part of Suzanne Downing and the editorial staff at Must Read Alaska. Uh, I think it was uh, I think it was something that was there and uh, he had it planned. But here, let me tell you, this is this is what's the most troubling to me. <clears throat> and this is where I start to get a little nervous about this session. Not that I'm looking for um, conflict. Okay, I'm not I'm trying not trying to advocate for conflict or anything else, but I start looking at how the how the newspapers and how the editorial staff and boards start to frame things. Um, Here's what it says in the ADN. 
Members of the bipartisan Senate caucus say they were impressed with Dunleavy's State of the State address, which they said showed a willingness to work with lawmakers, even as they awaited more specific details about Dunleavy's policies ideas. Now, showing a willingness to work with lawmakers, I again don't know if that's wishful thinking or if there's something going on that we're just not aware of, but that's the thing. Willikowski, the Anchorage Democrat, is quoted as saying, the devil's in the details, adding that he hoped for a proposal to deal with K-12 education costs, child care availability, affordable housing, and a backlog in federal SNAP benefits. Senate President Gary Stevens said, I think there's a real sea change in the governor. In my estimation, the governor is more comfortable with being governor. A real sea change. Well, there was a real sea change after 2018 when he kind of abandoned his position of making Alaskans' budget more sustainable. But, I mean, I I don't know. It's just a sea change. Dunleavy's speech focused on what he called a need need for the state to go, uh, quote, on the offense against the federal government for the rights to develop its resources. Um. House Speaker Kathy Tilton, a Republican, uh, the the uh, Wasilla Republican, said Dunleavy's speech brought to the four issues that are important to all Alaskans, including reducing crime, resource development, and federal overreach. I would agree with those things, but at the same time, where's the core issue here of the size and scope of state government and a fundamental restructuring or a fundamental protection of the PFD? Senator Donnie Olson said Dunleavy, quote, is more in touch with reality now than he was back then, (laughs) which I guess, I mean, maybe that's true in the form of, I guess not everybody was ready to live a sustainable budget uh, when it's all uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, This is the one that kind (laughs) of sent the chills up my spine. Senate uh, Senator L.V. Gray Jackson, the Anchorage Democrat, says, I think he's 100 percent committed to working with us. And Matt makes me very pleased. Ooh. Calvin Schrage, the minority leader, said he was encouraged by the tone of Dunleavy's remarks, including the policies related to education and family planning. Um, it, it, just as you read through this, you're like, I, I mean, did we all hear or read the same speech? Kind of thing, so I don't know if this is more wishful thinking on the parts of the on the part of the Democrats uh, or the Senate majority, uh, or I mean, I just I just don't know. Um, but everybody is quoted as being pleased to work with the governor, all sides. I, I just don't. But we'll have to see. Uh, but one of Brad's top three today is the governor can't have it both ways, and I guess we'll find out what what exactly that means. Uh, The governor in an article in KTUU, and I know Brad's going to reference this here in a few minutes, but basically he said something that I thought was, you know, very strongly stanced. He said the PFD is calculated by law, not something I make up. We submitted a PFD based on law. There has been discussion the past several years as to what the calculation should be. So until that calculation is changed, and from my perspective, the people have some say in it, we're going to continue to propose and follow the laws of the state of Alaska. Hashtag follow the damn law. But, I mean, that's great. Now, how does that read for people like Stevens and Schrage and uh, Elvie Gray-Jackson and Willikowski all to go, oh, yeah, he's we're, we really like him right now. 
I don't know. I I just don't know. All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna crash out of here for a minute. We're gonna come back. We're gonna have Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is gonna join us. We're gonna continue. Don't go anywhere. It is the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska. And we'll be returning with more here in just a moment. And Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, mm, I don't know. I just don't even know. I, I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to say anything because I might be wrong. No, hell, I've been wrong all the time, but I just, I don't even know how to analyze this at this point. When you've got LV Gray Jackson and and Willikowski and even Schrage saying that he's encouraged, uh, and then at the same time, the majority in the House with Kathy Tilton saying, you know, he's focusing on the crime and the this and that, and I'm like, but the, I mean, I understand, but there's some core issues. I just, ugh. I knew this session was going to be a challenge. I just knew this session was going to be in the challenge. Uh, but we'll have to see. Yeah, maybe it's just people hearing what they want to hear. I I don't know. But uh, we'll have to see. Uh, all right. Uh, I see that uh, Master Keithley is here in the uh, green room. And we are ready to discuss. I don't know. I hope he's got coffee. That's all I'm saying. I hope he's got coffee this morning. Uh, cause it's, uh, one of those, look at that. Look at that. Hell, hello, my friend. How, uh, how's life, uh, how's life in the big city for you? Michael, I'm doing great. You already promised a great show today. <laughs> don't, well, don't we have to actually do the show before? We well, I'd say great day. You're going to have a great day. I mean, it might be a great show too, but I mean, I just want people to, you know, we got to get some positivity going on here. We got to get people speaking, you know, because it, it can. It's so easy when we watch this kind of stuff to just get so dobbered. I mean, I I hate to look at you, Brad, but you are the culprit of beating people to death with you know stuff that just makes us all feel like we just want to drag ourselves out of the trenches and go take a shower. Uh, not that we don't need the truth hammer dropped on us. Uh, don't get me wrong, but you know sometimes we just need to be told that today is going to be a great day. And uh, no matter what the news is, <laughs> no matter what's going on outside, you get your own poop in a group and you get your family taken care of and get all your priorities taken care of. And then whatever happens outside, it happens, you know. And I just think we need to be reminded of that. Uh, you know, just, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I mean, that's my philosophy for today. That's well, no one, no one will ever confuse me with Chris' story. That's well, that sure. is that is 100% true. 100% true. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, we're getting ready here, uh, to dive into this. Um, and I know that you and I put together that, you know, you put the, the, the top three topics together and ironically, it seems like <clears throat> the governor can't have it both ways, which is your third of the number three today. 
might actually be influenced by what happened last night. Do you have any thoughts quickly on uh, the governor's state of the state that you want to share ahead of the, uh, you know, privately here with the class before we go on the air? I had a speech teacher who who would lecture us and tell us, told us once that the, the hallmark of a great speech is everybody thinks you did a great job, <laughs> that you that you that yeah. you stay above the fray enough that everybody sort of projects their own view of it and sees sees in it what they want to. That's well, that also means that the substance of it is not necessarily there, that it's so high level, that it's so amorphous that everybody reads into it what they want to read into it. It does not have the specificity that is sometimes needed for these kind of things, right? Because now you're not offending anybody. All sides think you're talking to them. That's what I'm looking, I guess, that. thank you for helping me clarify my thought on that because that's what I was thinking, that it's become, it's been, it had so much that everybody could just agree on. It means that there was probably no specificity to alienate anybody in the speech. Yeah, I think the governor wants to hover. I think the term I'm gonna be coming back to is the governor wants to hover above this session. He doesn't want to be down in it. He doesn't want to, you know, be in the nitty gritty. I think he just wants to hover. And I'm governor. And look, I'm going to run for something in four years or six years. So <laughs> oh, don't get mad at me. Oh, damn. I'm trying. Brad's always slinging, already slinging the arrows this morning. Okay. Uh, but I mean, you may not be wrong. I just, you may not be wrong. Uh, all right. Well, let, let, I guess we'll, we'll stop pontificating here. We're 15 seconds out. So Brad, hold the line for just a second. We'll be right back to you. Folks, do me a flavor. Mash the share button. Mash the like button. Like and follow me on Facebook and YouTube. I'm still, I need a thousand people on YouTube. I don't know what the problem is. All right, we're going to be back. Here we go. Jumping back into it. Annette Funicello. Yes, that's exactly. It's a little beach party going on over here. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and our FM translator, and across the planet on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com. Uh, it's Tuesday, which means the weekly top three and Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, an organization dedicated to, shockingly, creating sustainable budgets in the state of Alaska comes in for the big three items that we need to talk about uh, for this uh, for this week and for everything else. Good morning, Brad. How you doing? Michael, I'm doing great today. How about you? You know, it's it's okay. Today's going to be a good day. I'm, I'm speaking it into existence. Today's going to be a good day and I'm only going to feel slightly beat down when you're done. So it's all good. <laughs> it's, it's all fine. Um, Brad, let's start off with number one, which I think is an amazing piece. I mean, if, like I said earlier, if you want a primer or a 60 second elevator pitch on what exactly is the permanent fund and how it works and what the problem is for what we have going on today, uh, economist Ed King has got you covered. Go. Well, I think, uh, I think there's, there's, uh, one thing that's sort of been consistent through the whole PFD debate. And that is how economists look at the PFD and look at what's going on when you divert a portion of the PFD uh, to, to fund government. 
um, and, and, and how that compares to alternative uh, revenue measures. In the 2016 and the 2017 uh, ICER and ITEP reports, we had economists that were looking at the issue. They viewed the PFD, diversion of the PFD as a revenue source into the general fund because the PFD was, was a designated, statutorily designated as a distribution to individuals as income uh, to individuals and taking a portion of that and diverting it to government they viewed as, uh, as, a, as a revenue source in the government, essentially a tax on the PFD and a revenue source uh, in the government. We've had, we haven't really had economists taking a look uh, at this issue for a while, but Ed King, who, who uh, hopefully people on the show know, is an economist who served in the Dunleavy administration, has served as a private economist, a consulting economist, um, has served at, it, before that in the Department of Natural Resources, the Department of Revenue, served as a legislative aide. Uh, last session is going back to serve as a legislative aide uh, this session. This session. Uh, Ed wrote a piece uh, that I think is just an outstanding piece and one that I'll come back to time and time and time again. It's on his website, um, and the title of it is, uh, Do Alaskans Really Get Paid to Live, live There? And he starts out by talking about uh, you know, he's asked by outsiders. Ed spends a lot of time uh, outside various uh, various uh, things, and he talks about you know when people find out he's from Alaska, they ask they ask do Alaskans really get paid to live there? But that's really just sort of the the, the stepping off point for an analysis of what the PFD is uh, and what diversions of the PFD to the general general fund are. He talks he, he talks he describes the PFD as 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 I've described it from time to time, but this is an economist talking about it. He talks about it as a trust set up for the benefit of individual Alaskans, the permanent fund dividend portion of the permanent fund earnings. Right, beneficiaries. Set, the benefits. Alaskans being the beneficiaries of the trust, right? right. Being set up as a trust, it, the same way, and he uses this analogy, which I, I appreciate. The same way as in the lower 48, which I dealt with a lot when I was a practicing lawyer down there, setting up a royalty trust, a, 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 somebody who owns the land, setting up a trust for future generations, uh, putting the revenues from their royalties into this trust, building up the trust, and then distributing out the trust to the beneficiaries of the trust. Um, usually on a family basis, sometimes on a corporate basis, uh, various, various purposes of the trust, but it was a fairly, it's a fairly common thing in the lower 48. Ed talks about the PFD uh, being the equivalent of that lower 48 royalty trust set up for the benefit of Alaska families. Um, and, then, and then he talks about the diversion of, uh, of the PFD into, uh, into uh, government. And this is what he says about it. And I think th these are the final two paragraphs of the piece. And I think it's tremendously important. This is an economist looking at the economic impact, looking at what, what's really happening the economic fundamentals of, uh, of of what's going on with the PFD, and he says the problem with the the, the problem with the argument that he was that that you know he was stating other people make uh, above is twofold. First, if government took away your distribution from any other trust to which you are a beneficiary, it would clearly be called a tax. In Oklahoma, uh, distributions from these royalty trusts are taxed. Uh, they're not taxed at a different rate; they're taxed as income, just like just like uh, other other sources of, uh, of income from inheritance trusts or any other uh, form of trust. Uh, the diversion of it, uh, the diversion of a portion of it to the states called a tax. And as Ed State says here, 
If government took away your distribution from any other trust to which you are a beneficiary, it would clearly be called a tax. Likewise, changing the rules of the game so that the distribution, the PFD, gets smaller is in fact a tax. So the debate is really about which type of tax to implement. Second paragraph. Second, using the PFD to fund government shifts the balance of benefits among the population. Consider the extreme um, in which there is no dividend. In that case, all of the benefits from oil production would fall solely on those that otherwise would be, would be paying taxes. Remember, Hammond's original vision was 50% for the, for the permanent fund dividend, 50% for uh, available for government. If government needs more than that 50%, then government needs to tax to raise that additional revenue. It doesn't go steal from the dividend. It doesn't go tax the dividend. It needs to have a general tax to raise that additional uh, revenue. Uh, diverting a portion of the PFD, then over taking money out of the pockets of middle and lower income Alaska families over to government to avoid that, to avoid that tax to, to pay for the additional costs of government, uh, it, it shifts the burden. What Ed's saying is shifts the burden. It puts it on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families and benefits the top 20%, the wealthy that otherwise would pay tax. So back to Ed's, back to Ed's paragraph, consider the extreme in which there is no dividend. In that case, all of the benefits from oil production would fall solely on those that would otherwise be paying taxes. That's a benefit for the rich at the expense of the poor. Ed's words, not mine. I'm not sure about you, but that doesn't seem fair. So I think I think the really the 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 importance of this piece is we have an economist, a, another economist, looking at this issue, understanding the fundamentals, understanding what what Hammond was trying to set up with the PFD, a trust for the benefit the benefit with the beneficiaries being Alaska families, all Alaska residents, right, and that and that invading the trust. Uh, diverting a portion of the trust is like if you diverted a portion of a lower 48 royalty trust is a tax on the income intended for those individuals um, uh, to build up government. And because of the way the distribution benefits Alaskans, uh, the help it gives middle and lower income Alaska families, uh, the diversion of that income, the tax is to the, is to the detriment of middle and lower income Alaska families. And as Ed puts it, uh, that's a benefit for the rich at the expense of the poor. So I, I, I think it's a great article. I think it's a great summary, looking at it from the perspective of an economist about what's really going on when we deal with these PFD issues. No, and I and I again, I think this is the perfect just bite-sized chunk of exactly what it all covers. I mean, he talks about the formation of the fund, the history of it, why, you know, why does it pay? what exactly it is. He dispels some of the myths and rumors about it being a sovereign wealth fund and everything else in this small little bite-sized chunk. I mean, you could be forwarding this to anybody that has an argument about how oh, it's welfare and everything else. And if they had an open mind and were willing to look at this in this little short bite-sized perspective, they would have a, a really good understanding about this. This is a fantastic and very concise and illuminating piece from uh, Ed King. I, I mean, I think it's fantastic. Yep. Yep. And I, and, and, and I encourage if, if, if listeners haven't read it, I encourage them to to read it. If they, if they feel of a mind, I encourage them to distribute it, either post it on your social media or distribute it to friends. Uh, I think it's worthy of getting out there. It's, it's not, I mean, Ed, 
Ed got uh, whacked around pretty well on Twitter and other social media at one point uh, when he was working for Governor Dunleavy, and he's he doesn't really he doesn't really distribute this stuff much. I mean, he sort of posts it here. This, these are my thoughts, um, and uh, and sort of leaves it there. So it's not going to get widely distributed if it isn't picked up by others and uh, and talked about like we're doing it here uh, and distributed in terms of you know reposting on social media like I've done and like I would encourage others to do. Yeah, uh, it, it it we need we need to get the word out. No, I would definitely be. We'll be sharing this on the program here after the show today. Uh, on the Facebook page and others, and I encourage others to uh, to share it as well. I've posted links up in the chat room. KingEconomicsGroup.com is uh, Ed's website, and you can find it there at the top on his first blog post. All right, well, let's move over to number two, um, because I, I definitely want to get to all three today, uh, because this is some interesting stuff. And so number two is uh, basically uh, what... <laughs> the most intriguing thing about the house organization. And there was a lot you could see all you had to do was read the committee assignments and see there was some serious horse trading going on in the formation of the house majority. Um, but this to Brad uh, was probably the most interesting thing. Go. Well, I think there's one thing that's under the radar that's going on under the radar. And, and I, I've not seen any of the media pick up on it yet. Uh, and, and in part because it hasn't started, hasn't started acting yet, but there was a committee, there was one committee formed by the House majority that I didn't expect to see them form. As, as, as you'll recall, uh, last session in the coalition, or last legislature in the coalition, the last two years in the coalition, they formed a, a Ways and Means Committee that was headed by Ivy Sponholtz. And the original fanfare around this committee was uh, that they were going to they were going to come up with the fiscal plan and they were going to be the ones that 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 drove the drove the boat. They were going to be the think tank that that created this stuff. There were a lot of people on that committee. I think there were seven people on the committee. They had some hearings. They came up ultimately they sort of came back to the to the coalition version of a 25-75 split, 25 to the individuals to Alaskan 75% of the P of the permanent percent of market value draw uh, to government. Uh, but it was it was an interesting committee, but ultimately didn't count for much. And when the when the Republicans were able to form the majority in the legislature, I thought, well, that committee's going to be dead. It's not. Uh, they they have created a Ways and Means Committee uh, with only three members, uh, chaired by Ben Carpenter, who's no longer on House Finance. He's he's chairing uh, uh, one of the joint committees, Legislative uh, Affairs. Um, and that takes a lot of time, but but he would still have time to be on House Finance. But he's moved from House Finance over to Chair of Ways and Means. He's he's one member, Jamie Allard, uh, who's a who's a freshman, uh, but is Chair of Education, Chair of the House Education Committee in the new organizations. And that's going to be a key spot, given that everybody wants to increase K through twelve spending. That you want to, you know, have defined benefit plans for teachers, all sorts of. All, all the sorts of things that that the that the education community is going to be pushing in K through 12. The education committee on the House side, they're, they're going to be pushing it in the education committee on the Senate side. The education committee in the House side is going to be a, a key, uh, a key legislative spot. Jamie is the chair of that, and Jamie's the second member, uh, uh, two majority members on the committee on Ways and Means. And then the third uh, member is Cliff Grove. And Cliff uh, ran on being a, a fiscal policy expert. 
um, uh, thinks of himself as a fiscal policy expert, is recognized, I think, by many as a fiscal policy expert. I, I am absolutely convinced that that, uh, that Cliff wanted to be on House Finance, uh, but but has but but is on this committee uh, instead. Uh, recall that the House Majority uh, has said that that their top one of their top issues is is achieving fiscal stability. And when asked what that means, Delena Johnson, uh, one of the co-chairs of House Finance, has said, "Well, one of the things." That we should look go back and look at is the fiscal the outcome of the fiscal policy working group uh, in the last uh, legislature and 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 the package that that they th the thoughts they had the approach uh, they had. Ben was a member of the fiscal policy working group was a key member of the fiscal policy working group um, right. and and made some significant uh, 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 compromises I think in the formation of that package. Uh, I think was an integral player in the formation of that package, spoke about it on the House floor, tried on the House floor in sort of a backwards way at one point to uh, get pieces of their proposal picked up uh, in the in the budget um, and 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 has been an advocate of the of the uh, uh, of the proposal made by the fiscal policy working group. And now we've got Ben who's moved from House finance, significant role. He played, he played a significant role in House Finance, the most vocal Republican on House Finance. Moved from House Finance over to chair of, way, of this new Ways and Means Committee. So if, you know, I, I, I in my mind, I've not talked to Ben about this, uh, but I, in my mind, see uh, a, a path of what they're, of what they're creating here. Uh, House Ways and Means, co-chaired by Delena and two members of the Bruce, uh, uh, Bush Caucus, uh, Bryce Edgman and Neil Foster. Uh, House Ways and Means sort of dealing with the day-to-day -day fiscal issues, and then, or House Finance dealing with the day-to-day -day, uh, fiscal issues, and then House Ways and Means over here, sort of on the same track as 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 how the coalition envisioned it, not the same approach, not the right. same policy, right? But 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 coming up with the coming up, you know, being being assigned the responsibility to come up with the fiscal plan. You've got the right players on there in Ben member of the Fiscal Policy Working Group, former member of House Finance, Jamie, Chair of Education, and Cliff Grove, who really from, from the Democrat side, from the minority side is probably the best, the most well-versed in fiscal issues. Uh, you got the right players on there. So I, I, I think there's a, a significance to the, the continuation of this committee. Didn't have to do it. House Ways and Means hadn't existed for a long time before it was created by the last legislature. Uh, I think there's significance to the uh, to the majority creating this committee and to the members that they put on this committee. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting, especially we had a conversation with both Kathy Tilton and Ben Carpenter last week, who both referenced the fiscal policy working group uh, plan as being part of the quasi blueprint for what the majority is trying to do in the House this year. So it should be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, Kevin McCabe in the chat room says there are now five members of that committee, although basis in the state legislative, uh, the legislative website is still showing three. So I don't know who the uh, other ones are yet, but ask, ask Kevin who the other two I, are. I, I have just asked Kevin who the other two are in the chat room because I'm interested to see. But I think it's going to be uh, I mean, I think this is good. I think that somebody who's got a strong basis in economics like Kim, Ben Carpenter and Cliff Grow 
and then bringing the uh, committee chair for for education, which is going to be the hot button issue this year. We already know that uh, together and then add that to the fiscal policy working group uh, plan. And, you know, it might be interesting to see what comes out of this committee uh, going forward this year. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's the sleeper. And I when I when I was thumbing through the House organization, I thought, OK, OK, OK. A lot of a lot of freshmen on House Finance. Why is that? Where's 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 this going? And then I saw this committee, um, and and had the thought that you know this is at least initially sort of like when the last legislature, when the last majority set up their House Ways and Means. At least initially, this looks like a a good place uh, to focus uh, attention and a good place uh, to try to develop. Uh, a plan. Well, and historically, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee last year did not get quite the, uh, it didn't have quite the impact that I think that they thought it was going to have. Um, we'll have to see where this goes. We're going to continue. We'll continue with some final thoughts on number two, and then we'll move on to number three. The governor can't have it both ways. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based. Free Thinking Radio. We'll return with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're in the break with Brad Keithley uh, right now. Um, uh, Randy, Randy apparently missed the whole deluge about the actual the fund being a trust. Um, is the PFD a true dividend based on surplus, as in the case of a private company where profits and salary could vary, or is it a quid pro quo social security payment where people pay in a certain amount and expect a certain amount out of it? It is neither one of those. It's a trust, right, Brad? Like any kind of land trust like they'd set up in Oklahoma or Texas or North Dakota. Yeah, exactly right. And you call those dividends when they come out of the trust. I mean, a dividend a dividend isn't isn't only uh, payments from surplus in a corporation. I mean, not even corporations are always paying from surpluses. Sometimes they, to maintain their dividend, sometimes they pay from debt. Sometimes they, they cut spending in order to maintain the dividend. Um, uh, but in Oklahoma, but as we were talking about before, when you create a lower 48 land trust, a royalty trust, uh, uh, the payments out of that are called dividends uh, to the recipients, to the beneficiaries. So it's, it's you, you can't, you can't um, take the, t- the title of dividend and somehow, you know, make it something different than what it is. It is, it is a payment out of, out of the earnings, a payment uh, out, of, uh, out of the trust uh, to the beneficiaries. Uh, and it's just and it's just a question of who you're making the beneficiary. I mean, right. the statute, as it's currently set up, makes middle and lower income Alaska families largely the beneficiaries. Right. Uh, well, we're all birdie. beneficiaries equally. It's just they have it has the largest impact on them. Right. 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 Uh, Kevin says that he is one of the five. Uh, yeah. He has not said who the other one is, but uh, he says, I also have five other committees, which must feel it must feel good to at least be in the driver's seat a little bit i agree with that uh at this point well having been as i, I mean kevin's not seven kevin's great kevin's chair of transportation i think uh which also is a big uh, a, a big place where money goes it's going to be a big issue this year because of the 
increase capital budget that the administration is proposing not only this year in, but in future years in order to match the federal funds that are that are coming in largely on the transportation side. So transportation is an important funding committee also. Great to have, great to have him on board. Frankly, I think that just sort of re reinforces the importance of this committee. You're getting you're getting the people on there like Ben, who was on the fiscal policy working group, has been through these issues, thought about these issues, who can focus on this. Jamie, who's one of the who chairs one of the key spending committees. Kevin, who will chair one of the key spending committees. So it, it just sort of reinforces uh, where that's going. If Kevin's being added, I, the other member then may be a minority member um, to maintain. Right. I, I doubt if they'd go 4-1. It's probably 3-2. So. Right. A balance of one, one way. So who outside of Alaska gets cash payments from a land Randy, you're missing the point. And nobody outside of Oklahoma is going to get, well, unless they're an owner, I suppose. But in Alaska, we are all owners collectively. So that's that's how that works. I know you just don't want to see it that way, but that's 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 <laughs> that you know, uh, that's what it is. Um, uh, Chris uh, over on Twitch says, if I'm going to lose my PFD to government taxation, why should I not? Why should I not be entitled to more services? Um, I mean, I think we're all entitled to the same amount of services. The question is, are these services the government need to be involved? I mean, that should always be the question. I mean, let's face it. We here on the program are, are first and foremost, we're, we're a cut first kind of mentality. I know that I am. But I also agree with the idea that we're basically trying to make the decision right now on what's the best form of taxation. The one we don't have the control over right now is the dividend cut. Uh, we at least would like to have some say in what form of taxation there is. Um, but I mean, I don't, you know, what other services could they provide that they're paying for right now that wouldn't cause government to expand even more? There's, there's two, there, there, there's two different concepts here. And, and, and maybe this isn't what Chris is talking about, but there's what you spend on and you spend a lot of time thinking about that. And then there's how you fund it. Uh, and, and you, and that's a separate issue that you think a lot about that. I mean, some people say, oh, if we have a tax on top of PFD cuts, that's just more spending. It's not. A tax replaces the PFD cuts as, as the source of revenues for the spending. The legislature has demonstrated it's going to spend what it's going to spend. Whatever, whatever it appropriates, less what the governor vetoes, that's going to be spending. The question is how you pay for it. And, and paying for it with PFD cuts shifts the burden of middle and lower income Alaska families. If you pay for a portion of it with taxes, more equitable taxes, then you spread the burden more broadly, including to non-residents. You spread the burden more broadly, and you and you and you levelize the the impact across the, across income brackets. So you you shouldn't think if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have PFD cuts and taxes, then I'm entitled to more services because there's going to be more spending. No, that's not it's not what's going on. It's what? a question. It's a question of how you divide up what's be, how you how you're dividing up the funding. And who's being impacted by the fund? But Chris is expressing the same fear that I have, Brad. If you put more money on the table, they'll spend more money. And even Ed King in the King Economics thing said they recognized that the legislature was spending every dollar that went through the Treasury. That's the problem. Maybe you can address that here as we come back into it. we got to go to the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go.
Okay, we're continuing now with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We were just talking about, you know, what happens when, if there is a tax, an additional tax, I mean, there's already a tax with a permanent fund. I think we can mostly agree on that, in on this show anyway. I know other people don't believe that, but I believe it is a tax. It's a takeaway. King makes that argument. Brad makes that argument. But the big question is, if they do tax more and there is more revenues coming in, uh, won't it just encourage more government spending? It's always been my fear, Brad, and you and I have disagreed on this. You believe that it would be an offset. I believe it would be ancillary and additional spending that, you know, it just would be too tempting. The money's on the table. Why would they give it back to Alaskans in the form of a PFD? Well, Michael, the, the uh, there's additional money on the table now. There's still $800 million or so uh, in PFD money, additional money they could take. They don't, they don't take that. I mean, at some point, spending runs out the, the 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 impetus to spend the desire to spend the support for spending uh runs out and and you know if they if they were going to truly spend everything they had then the 800 million in is going out in pfd would be spent right now but they don't do that i mean the legislature spends on a lot of things they spend too much uh there we've identified since the early 20 teens Areas that they could cut back, but they but they they just keep spending, and they're and they're going to spend on on what they're going to spend. The question is how they're funding it. Right. And right now, they're funding it entirely through PFD cuts, through taxes on middle and lower income Alaska families. Right. Going forward, uh, I'm not advocating more revenues. I'm advocating a different revenue structure. Swapping the right, swapping the way that it's funded. Right. In 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 how that spending's being funded. I don't right. think it ends up with more spending. If they wanted to spend more, they have the revenues now in terms of in terms of what's going out in PFDs to, to oh, have th- more spending. I think that's the dream, though. I think the dream is to have access to the full eight hundred million. That's just not palatable, uh, palatable right now. Uh, palatable, rather, to do that right now. But uh, anyway, let's move on to number three, which is the governor can't have it both ways. Uh, and you reference this KTUU article, which I'm going to pop up on the on the in the chat room here. But uh, give us your take on this, Brad. Why? What do you mean? The governor can't have it both ways. What are you talking about? Well, here, here's what the governor's doing. And this is part of, you know, what we were talking about before we, before we went on air. Uh, the governor's trying to stay, trying to levitate above the legislature and levitate above the battles that the legislature is going to have to engage in. And, and, he's, and he's, he's doing this levitation act by creating this whole source of, whole source of new revenues and saying, oh, you know, the the carbon management revenues are going to are going to do wondrous things. They're going to go from three hundred million dollars this year. The budget says three hundred million dollars this year, five hundred million dollars next year, to uh, uh, three hundred million dollars in FY twenty four, five hundred million dollars in FY twenty five, seven hundred and fifty million dollars in FY twenty six, and uh, nine hundred million dollars by FY twenty seven. That's that's going from like a third of the cur- current carbon market, uh, carbon management market out there. And even if the current carbon management market grows, it's going, you know, it's still a huge percent of the overall global carbon management market that governor that the, that the governor's arguing is going to come to Alaska alone. Look at another way. This, this, this magic growth in the carbon management market is like adding 250,000 barrels a day of production in four years to get to 900 million dollars at 75 dollars uh, oil that's that's 250,000 barrels a day of additional production the the, the governor's are is saying that you know this magic carbon man carbon management revenue is going to 
you know, get us 250,000 additional barrels uh, in the span of four years. It's not going to do that. There's no evidence the administration has provided. There's no, as I wrote about in last Friday's Alaska landmine column, there's no evidence out there in the world that Alaska is alone is going to be able to capture that huge a share of the of the global carbon market, you know, just immediately going from startup to, to that huge a share. Maybe eventually we get to something like that, but it's not happening next year. It's not happening in the year beyond that. It's not happening in the 10-year period uh, that that the governors talked about uh, in the in the in the 10-year 10 10-year 10 plan. But but he's trying to dodge the debate. Uh, about you know the real on the ground the real facts debate about how we pay for for government and what he says in this KTUU article is or in this is in that interview is I want the PFD I want a statutory PFD and I don't want to pay taxes well you can't have it both ways I mean he's trying to have it both ways by creating this this fiction out there of the carbon management revenues so he can stay above the battle and say oh we don't have to worry about that. We're going to have these carbon management revenues. We don't have to worry about this real debate between, between PFD cuts and taxes. Well, it's a real on-the-ground debate. It's a real on-the-ground debate for FY24. It's going to be a real on-the-ground debate in FY25. It's going to be a real on-the-ground debate uh, through the remainder of the decade. And the governor is trying to, he, he, the governor is trying to stay above the fray, avoid the battle, the real battle that Alaskans face, the real battle the legislature is going to face. And you can't have it both ways. We're either going to have PFD cuts if, if, if we don't have leadership on, on other remedies like some cuts, some taxes. If we don't have leadership in that direction, we're either going to have continuing and deeper PFD cuts to, 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 hit, the, to, hit, the, uh, to hit the balanced budget, or we're going to have, we're going to, have to have some sort of, of revenues. We're going to have to have leadership on some sort of revenues. And for the governor to try to, to try to you know levitate above the debate, uh, I think is I, I don't I don't think he's being governor. I don't think he's taking the leadership role. I know he got hurt um, uh, in the first year when he tried to take a leadership role when he tried to you know direct the state in 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 the direction he thought best. And I know that that he took a lot of hits for that, and I know he doesn't want to take hits again. Uh, but you know you can't you can't run for governor and not want to lead. You, you can't run for governor and want to live in a fantasy land, uh, the, which is what carbon management revenues are. But he's trying to do that. And, and, and it's not leadership to try to have it both ways. If you want to be a leader, if you want to deal with the real issues that'll, that the legislature is going to have to deal with on the ground, that Alaskans are going to have to are having to deal with on the ground, if you want to be a real leader on those actual real life issues, then you need to get in the debate and you need to you need to fess up. I mean. By trying, by 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 putting all of his stock on these on these fantasy revenues, what he's really setting up is is continued and deeper PFD cuts. Because once you have the budget, and and remember, his budget grows not as doesn't keep up with inflation, but his budget nevertheless grows. Right. Once once you have that spending, if if you're predicating paying for that spending on the basis of these carbon management rules, the carbon management revenues, they don't show up. What else is there? The, the legislature has shown what it will do. It will cut the PFD to balance that spending. So the governor's not proposing spending cuts. The governor's not proposing realistic revenues. When, we, when, when you get to the end of the day and you have to, you have to balance the budget, what's going to happen? It's going to be in the form of PFD cuts. So it's, 
I mean, he's 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 not facing up to real issues. He's trying to levitate above the real issues, and I think it's I think it's doing a disservice to the state. Well, this goes back to our discussion on the state of the state address. Maybe that's why everybody thought it sounded great. Both sides thought it sounded great because, again, the most amorphous kind of uh, you know non-committal non-specific uh, address that you can have. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thanks for coming in and uh, joining us today. I appreciate you being part of it. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we are up against it. Uh, we got more coming up in hour two. Chris Story will be joining us with a little bit of uh, life coaching uh, lessons uh, today. Uh, in fact, today his uh, theme is the game of life how to negotiate we'll be back um uh, yeah i mean i i look i just i just look at this and uh i mean i i could see that the governor's pie in the sky idea that somehow we're gonna have these magical revenues up here i mean we're betting on is what my grandfather used to call the if come right it's not income it's the if come and you're ba building your whole house on this kind of house of sand if come kind of ideas. Um, and there's only a one other option in the room, which at this case, the biggest pot of money is the PFD. Then it sounds like that will be the target when it's all said and done, um, which again, you and I are going to disagree on this, but I think that's the whole game plan in the, in the long run. Anyway, they, they want to take the PFD and what they really want is they want access to the corpus of the fund eventually but they'd be willing to take the whole ERA in the meanwhile. So they're, I mean, they're, they're just sucking up all the available, hoovering up all the available money in the room uh, in whatever way they can. If you really want to stop them spending, Michael, though, I mean, a spending cap would be, would be nice if it works. I mean, we've had spending caps. They don't, they don't, they don't stay tied to reality. That's the problem with a spending cap. But if you really, if you, if you really want to stop spending, as we've talked about on the show before, get the top 20%, the people who hire the lobbyists, the people who the people who you know would 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 be affected by taxes get the top twenty cent percent in the game. Get them pushing back on spending. The 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 donors, the 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 supporters of the of legislators, get them pushing back uh, on spending. Get them making calls saying, "Don't spend on this because you're making me pay for it." If you really want to stop spending, get them in the game. And the way to get them in the game is to make them not 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 push all of the burden off on them, but, but make them pay a share of the burden. The problem with PFD cuts, the, 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 the real problem that we've, that, we've, that we've wandered into with PFD cuts is the top 20% get government, they get government services, all the government services they want, and they have to pay a piddling, a piddling amount for it. It, it. it doesn't affect them at all. It's, a price, it's like the price of a, of a, of a Starbucks latte. Uh, uh, to them, and and they really don't care. I mean, a lot of them benefit from from increased government services, increased con uh, contracts, number of, uh, right. additional contracts. Uh, some of them are government employees that get you know higher wages or more government employees or bigger unions. Um, that's that's what they want. But push back, make them pay for a part of it, make them suffer uh, along with everybody else in terms of having to pay a share of your income to support government get them in the game, have them push back, and that, that will control spending. The way, the way we're doing it now, we're, we're, we're never going to get there because we're making government goods free 
free goods for the top 20%. They just want more of them. This is essentially what you're advocating is essentially the the Hammond plan. I mean, this is what Hammond talked about. And Ed King talks about that in his piece going back to the beginning of the and the history of the fund. He advocates that that's the only way to get people involved in government, uh, because his argument was if we basically all if all the money went through to the uh, legislature, People would not be, he said, he wanted Alaskans to be active participants in the oil business and the government. If the money, if the money simply paid for government services and there was no need for taxes, the Alaska people wouldn't care what happened in Juneau. That would be a recipe for corruption, which, again, uh, Rob, Rob Myers has talked about that. It's complete and total disconnect. When you disconnect the government economy from the private economy, you get an overbloated you know, government economy because they've got a full source of revenue that's outside of the people's control. So that's the argument you're making, right? Exactly. And Hammond, Hammond had a great phrase in, in this regard. He, said, he, he talked about taxes as the, as the sword of Damocles, hang, or income taxes, as the sword of Damocles hanging over legislators' heads. That if that if they did that, if they increase taxes, then the then their donors um, and and Alaskan voters would would you know come down on them hard. Would like the sort of Damocles would would take their heads off. Um, and and he said, you know, I, Hammond was not an advocate of taxes as much as he was an advocate of the potential of taxes. He thought the potential of taxes. That's why when when they repealed the income tax, he didn't want to repeal it. He just wanted to take it to zero. Um, and have it sort of sitting there as as the sort of Damocles over legislators' heads. That you know that threat of taxes, that burden of taxes, that 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 threat that all all Alaska families have to pay a proportionate share of the cost of government um, is it, 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 Hammond view Hammond viewed, and I think is is accurately viewed as as the best spending cap there is because they will not. They, they will be very reticent to enact additional taxes. What we've done now with the form of taxes we're using, with the revenue design we're using now, is let them off the hook and, and push the burden to middle and lower income Alaska families who don't have lobbyists, who don't, who, who don't by and large, aren't big campaign donors, and so don't have the influence with legislators that big campaigners do, big campaign donors do. Um, we've, we've let that top 20% off the hook um, and they're getting, you know, government for free. So in my view, uh, this is not a revenue issue. It's a revenue design issue. It's how you gather the revenue you need, how you develop the revenue you need to pay for pay for spending and doing it the way we're doing it through PFD cuts, PFD taxes on the PFD is is not is not restraining spending because the people who can restrain spending, the top 20 percent, aren't aren't in the game. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And of course, the Fiscal Policy Working Group Plan covers a lot of different areas and aspects of this. It covers the PFD. It covers oil, new oil revenue, uh, you know, from the from the oil companies. It talks about taxation. It talks about cutting. It talks about all those things. Yep. And, and it's an all of the above. It's an all of the above solution, which I think is the correct solution. A little bit of PFD restructuring um, uh, to, to, you know, make that part of the make that part of the solution, a little bit of spending cuts, the fiscal policy working group endorsed that, and a little bit of taxation uh, as, as part of the revenue structure, as part of revenue design, a little bit of taxation uh, to, uh, to, to fill out the, the remainder uh, of the revenue needs. And, I, and part of the motivation for that is, is Hammond's motivation, which is to, push, is to push the burden out. 
Thank you, Brad. We're out of time. Appreciate you coming in. Uh, We will talk to you later. Folks, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. thing back in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast line of the michael welcome to the party pal The, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, FM translator. Welcome to the program and thanks for coming in and joining us. Hour two of this Tuesday edition of the Michael Duke Show. And uh, today we are continuing our discussions. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He came in and talked with us about his weekly top three uh, the top three items, which has got uh, people in the chat room all agog and stuff like that, which I I think, uh, you know, I want to talk about right now. So we're going to uh, kind of open up the phone lines right now to discuss this and uh, see uh, what your uh, what your ideas are, what your solutions are. Coming up also in this hour, we're going to be joined by Chris Story, uh, the man from Homer, who comes in for our weekly life coaching lesson and uh, uh, and kind of positivity boost. Today, his topic is the game of life or how to negotiate like a mazillionaire. And uh, we'll talk with him about that here this morning in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk with you. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, of uh, angst in the chat room. Uh, I, and so I would encourage uh, folks uh uh, who have an alternative idea to what we've been talking about, what we just talked about with Brad in the ways of uh, whether it's solidifying the PFD, whether it's creating or trading one tax uh, plan for another, like, you know, t- trading the PFD tax for another tax instead. Um, I would say, uh, uh, OK, what's your idea? Um, you know. If you don't like what Brad just laid out, and there are a few people in the chat room who are just very verbose about it, um, how do you fix it? How do you how do you make it happen? What are the talking points? And I see a lot of things about well, you know, I mean, oil taxes uh, and the to- the tax giveaway is a big thing, but that's covered in part by the fiscal policy working group, which discussed a new form of taxes on oil companies and things for five or six hundred million dollars a year. So that's one of the things that we've talked about and one of the things that uh, that Brad acknowledges. So what are, you know, what are your solutions? Um, because it's it appears that the cuts only approach, which we've been advocating on this program for 20 something years now, 
just doesn't have the political will to make it happen. So what is the solution? 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Seriously, I'd love to hear what your solution is and how you expect to be able to lever it through the mechanism of government that we have right now. Uh, because at this point, all here's my feeling. My feeling is at this point, all we can do is offer up alternatives and different ideas. Somebody down there in the legislature has got to run with it and has got to force it through the legislative process. Now, we we already know what the makeup of the Senate majority looks like. And although we did win, and by we, I mean the more fiscal conservatives and kind of the, the smaller government folks, did win the um, uh, the majority in the House, uh, you know, is there the political will to push something else through? I and I, and I'm I mean I'm seriously wondering about that. How? What other plan would you have? Uh, you're not going to be able to pull a billion dollars out of the oil industry without damaging the development and everything else that we have right here. Brad has talked about fixing the Hillcorp loophole which would be about $100 million a year. And the Fiscal Policy Working Group talked about changing the oil tax structure to generate another four or $500 million a year. So you're at $500, $600 million a year from the oil uh, companies. They're talking about uh, you know maybe cutting back on the size and scope a little bit in the Fiscal Policy Working Group plan. And they talked about a variety of taxation options. Not that, again, I, I'm just saying all the options are on the table. So what is your solution to the problem that faces us right now in the state of Alaska? Because doing the same thing we've been doing is not working. I mean, right? I mean, past performance is indicative of future results. That's where we're at right now. What we've been trying to do, what I've been trying to do, what others have been trying to do, for the past 20 years is to restrain the size and scope of government, to encourage cuts, to encourage efficiencies, and yet nobody else seems to be interested in doing that at all. There, Again, and I, I know people, some people hate this phrase, but there is no political will to do that. So what is the solution based on all of those facts? I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. Let's hope that I've eliminated the echo problem. If not, I apologize. But let's go over here to the phones and see what they have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Randy, what's on your mind? Well, when you ask for a solution, I think you're kind of referring to a problem that Brad often brings up, and the problem that I see Brad talking about <clears throat> is motivation. He's trying to motivate the top 20%. He's always talking about that, and he thinks income taxes would do that. My solution to motivate people is to, is to alter the PFD law such that there is what I call an expansion clause in it. In other words, for the 1982-style PFD that we currently use, we no longer use the original 1980-style PFD, but for that PFD, um, what we should do is have a base level that can always be paid out because it's low enough to be paid out, but then insert statutorily 
an expansion clause that says specifically that the PFD will be increased if there is a surplus. That would then focus attention of all the people on the on the aspect of of cutting government excessive government expenditures and services so that there can be a surplus so that the PFD can be raised. And then of course a uh, a, a partnering uh, idea I have on this subject is to have a second PFD, which I've talked about before, in which is similar to the original 1980 statutory PFD that favors long-term residents. So two PFDs per year. That's my solution. Well, and while I applaud you for coming up with an idea, again, is it workable? It does it have the uh, does it have support? Is it politically feasible? The answer is still no, because now you're still talking about surplus and excess and you're counting on the human nature of the legislature to do something which is contrary to what its interests are right now and what the track record is. The track record is uh, of the legislature, Randy, in case you haven't been paying attention, is that they will consume every available dollar in the room all the time. So there is no excess. There were There is no surplus when it's all said and done. There's been very few years, in fact, when there has been any kind of surplus. And it's only through, uh, you know, usually it's only through the pressure of the permanent fund itself that it has held it back uh, that way and been able to be put into savings. It's only through the constitutional mandate that the CBR have a certain amount of money in it that those things have happened. Uh, so while, I mean, I applaud your your thinking and your ideal of trying to find a way, it also has to be feasible. And when the fact is, is that they consume every dollar in the room, there is no other. I mean, your plan is unworkable at this point. And again, I would make the argument also not politically feasible because there is no political will to pay one dividend, let alone create two. That's that's just that's my response. That's my rebuttal to your to your argument. Well, that second PFD that I recommend is is a uh, fairly low expensive because a person would pay five dollars to buy a Hammond bond that's what I call it a Hammond bond and they'd only get fifty dollars per year but then they could buy another Hammond bond the next year and get an additional fifty dollars per year for life and so it'd start out at a very small expense and so I think that part is feasible all right well thank you Randy for your call I appreciate it let's go over here and uh, see what other ideas are floating around out there in the ether good morning who's this where are you calling from hi this is Pike from Anchor Point Alaska good morning Pike what's on your mind I, I think the only way to get state spending down is to move the capital from Juneau because as long as they're down there and feeling safe in their little pirate island they're going to continue to rob and pillage the people. Um, that's Does it, why they all had a big freak out when uh, Dunleavy was going to bring them up to Wasilla for a session. Right. Do you think it has to be the capital, no, no. Pike, or do you think it has? I mean, because charter on the charter of changes, number two is the is the number two of the charter of changes is changing the venue. Uh, which you know basically means uh, you know moving the legislative session. Uh, onto the road system. Do you think that that would solve the I mean, because, again, moving the capital has got its own uh, problems, I guess I would say. So do you think that moving the session would uh, would help in that direction? Or what do you say? I think we have to move the whole thing because they feel way too comfortable down there. And uh, they know they don't have to listen to anyone or worry about protests. 
or any type of bad publicity. And uh, also one quick thing on the PFD. Mm-hmm. I found out the PFD Corporation is invested in the Russian gas company Gazprom and helping Putin continue his war by funding it. Uh, I'd also like to see that change, too. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Pike. I mean, I... You know, I I think that that could definitely be a part of it. Moving the, I mean, again, that's why it's on the charter of changes. Moving the uh, moving the legislative session to Juno. I don't want to have to rehash the whole battle over moving the over moving the capital. But I uh, I do agree that uh, uh, that moving the session to Juno would shine the light on some of the things that are happening there for sure. Uh, so I agree with that, and that may be workable, although it may take, uh, a, you know, that may be politically feasible, but it may take a movement by the people themselves instead of uh, through the legislative session. Um, but, Pike, thank you for your idea. I appreciate it. I think, I think it's much more thank workable you. than the uh, than Randy's uh, idea out there. Your thoughts, uh, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. Love to hear what you guys have to say uh, on this uh, as we wind things down. Uh, we've got to uh, we got Chris Story coming up here in just a moment to kind of give us our life coaching lesson. So, any other thoughts on this? I would love to hear what you guys have to say, uh, and uh, or feel free to drop me an email. The email address is me at michaeldukeshow.com. M E at michaeldukeshow.com. <clears throat> I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what you have to say on this uh, because I think. Uh, you know, if you don't like the answers that we're giving right now, what is your solution? We can complain and we can argue about the pros and cons of each uh, of each idea, but if we don't have any alternate ideas for that, then what what are we going to do in the long run? Right? I mean, that's kind of where we're at right now. Okay. Um well, I guess we're up against the break, so I guess it's time to I guess it's time to go. So we will. Chris Story coming up here in just a moment. We're going to see what uh, he has to say about learning how to negotiate. We'll be back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um, Rob Myers says this is in regards to Randy's plan. The only way that works for the people of at the lower end of the uh, – that only works, rather, for people at the lower end of the income level. The only way it would affect the people on the upper end is if we gave them bigger PFD than the people at the lower end. Uh, again, an effective amount of money. If and, and, I mean, I guess that argument is true in that regard uh, because if they had more skin in the game in that regard, maybe they would slow the roll of the size and scope of government. 
um, which is a different way, uh, kind of a different way of the same argument that Brad was making. Um, Deborah says, how about we hold our politicians accountable for everything that they do or the people need to be on top of them constantly so that they stay vigilant and what we want them and do what we want them to do. I mean, that's what we've been trying, Deborah. That's the problem. We've been trying that. I agree. I think it's a, that was kind of the whole plan. Uh, she goes on to say, pretty easy to dictate from your armchair. People need to get up and de and deact and be, uh, I think it's be actively involved, I think is what she's what she said, deactivate involved, be actively involved. She says, I'm as guilty as the next. I, and that's the thing. We've been trying to get people engaged on this program for 22 years. I have been arguing about this and talking about the size and scope of government um, and what we've been spending for 22 years. Um, and we have done been able to do very little to hold back on the size and scale. I mean, again, this is my argument with Brad, and he disagrees with me. He thinks that if we swap it out for another one, that it will force them to pay out the dividend. And maybe he's right, but all I can see from the past track record is if there is a dollar in the piggy bank, they will find a way to spend it. Period. End of story. Full stop. And that's why I'm nervous about all of this. But if we, again, if we are going to have to face taxes, which we are, we're facing taxes right now. We're being, our PFD is being taxed. If we are going, at least we ought to have the option of choosing which, you know, firing squad we want. Choosing door number one or door number two. We should at least have that choice. That's part of my argument here. Not that I support the idea, not that I'm happy about it, not that I believe it's the right thing to do, but if we are going to have it done to us anyway, then maybe we should at least have the ability to choose our poison, so to speak. Uh, I don't think it's giving up to say, some people say, well, you're just giving up. You're just giving. No, but what we've been doing is not working. So maybe we at least should have the conversation. I mean, uh, it, it just seems that just seems commonsensical to me that we should just have the conversation, if nothing else, to talk about the pros and cons of it. And, uh, you know, that's that's the thing. And Jim, Jim, you may not be wrong. Jim says the bulk of the people you were preaching to 20 years ago have left the state. Yeah, probably because many of them threw their hands up in the air and said, what the? F Never mind. I'm just I'm walking out. Because it's not changing. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Um, Chris story. Um, Chris story, the man from Homer is with us right now. And so I suppose we should bring him on the air and see what he has to say. Good morning. They call him Mr. Story. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Take a deep breath, Michael. Take a deep breath. You you raise an interesting question. Do you think people actually move from a state, whichever the 57 states, do, do they actually move from one state to another based on political reasons or just those which impact their life, usually jobs or 
maybe from Cal fleeing California from overtaxation. But I wonder, I'm curious about that. What do you think? Oh. How many people actually left Alaska because of the politics? I, I would put that at almost none. No, I mean, I think that politics has a component to it, but I think it all comes back to the economics of it, right? I mean, and the economics could be taxation, it could be many, which have political ramifications. But I think in the long run, it's in, in the long run, most of those decisions are probably economic in nature. I mean, they, you'll have family issues, like another you know, opportunity. things like that. Yeah, or another opportunity. You know, the opportunity to yeah. make more money or the opportunity not to be taxed as high or to have a different cost of living. I'm just trying to relieve you. Yeah. I'm just trying to relieve you of some of the pain that over these 22 years, you're not, it's not your fault that our population stayed you know, neutral, net neutral with those moving in and out. You, you're not to completely blame. You're, there's a lot we'll blame on you, Michael, of course. <laughs> not that. Welcome back to the Michael Duke Show, by the way. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Yeah, I pushed the wrong timer, so uh, I was uh, we, we, got, we got caught away here. Chris Story is our guest. Uh, it is the weekly uh, positivity boost, the weekly life coaching lesson, whatever you want. What, what should we call it, Chris? I've been calling it whatever the hell I feel like, but... What would you call this, our visits every week? The best part of my week, Michael. I look forward <laughs> to it. You call it whatever you want. Wow. I just, I appreciate uh, <clears throat> that you let me do this after all these years. The check is in the mail. Okay. All right. You can, you can feel it's all good about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, wow. Uh, okay. So um, you want to talk with us this week about. Uh, how to negotiate. It's it's the how to negotiate and how to how to nego- negotiate like a, a zillionaire. Right. So mm-hmm. let's let's just let's just talk about that. What uh, what how to nego- the game of life, how to negotiate like a millionaire. Go for it. Walk me through it. That's it. Exactly. That it is a game. And I think that when you associate something with a millionaire or billionaire or as you just said, zillionaire you would think, well, they must know how to do it better. They must have got this figured out. And I think the one thing that you can definitely ascribe to that um, group of people whom we look at outside of ourselves and say, oh, they've got to figure it out is it's a game and they understand it. So I've got three steps to remember when you negotiate, or as you said previously in the broadcast, which was perfect, negotiate. I do not understand where that pronunciation comes from. It's above my pay grade. But yes, how to negotiate like a millionaire, we could have come up with 33 steps, right. but why not boil it down? Why not distill it down to the three most important things to remember about negotiating? But the highlight really is, and the underlying point is that it's a game. And, and all of life truly can be looked at as a game. In other words, you know, it's it, there's going to be some wins, there's going to be some losses. Whenever you begin to negotiate, though, number one, you've got to take aim. You have to know where you want to end up. It's like uh, Wayne Dyer said of dancing, you don't dance to end up at a certain spot on the dance floor per se. You just dance because you're enjoying it. And in the dance of life or the dance of negotiation, you do have an aim though. There is a point with which you want to get to, a point on the map, a destination. You may not know how you're gonna get there. You may shuffle a little, you may do a waltz, you may uh, do a samba. And Michael, you probably are a big uh, samba guy. Uh, tango, you know, tango, necessarily tang- ah, tango, 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 but you're going to get somewhere and you want to know where you're aiming for. So before you leave, take aim, 
look at where you want to end up in the negotiation. Remembering it is a game, it can be very serious though, especially in a hostage negotiation or a negotiation for a business dealing or negotiation for almost anything that can be, can be taken very seriously. But again, remembering that it's a game, I think will take some of the pressure out of the room. But the first step to truly negotiate like a millionaire is to take game, know where you want to end up. It's a little bit like the, the too often used adage about when a plane takes off from Chicago, destination Hawaii, it's off course most of the time, but the pilot knows exactly where he wants to end up or where she wants to end up, which is Oahu or Maui, whatever. They know where they're going. They're going to correct course along the way. Same in negotiating. You got to know your destination, though. So, uh, again, and you're talking about negotiation, but really take out the word negotiation and this is life. You've got to know your destination. I mean, coming back to that self-analysis of where do you want to get? Where do you know, what do you want the outcome to be and build backwards from there? Right. Build, oh, I thought you were going to say build back better. It's like, don't you do it, Michael. No. Don't you do that. Don't you build back better. I'm not going to. No, I'm building backwards. That's how I, that's how I work. <laughs> right. Michael's going backwards in time. So if we have three steps, why not make them spell something? So first letter is A, next letter is I, which is information, standing for information. Get all the information you can when negotiating. And how do you do that? How do you get all the information you can from the other side? I like to think in terms of negotiating from a round table that you don't actually have a physical opposition or opposite side, but many times you do. So let's be frank about that. Ask questions, seek to understand what it is that they want. You've already defined what you want. You know what it is. You've taken aim. You have the destination circled on the map. What do they want, though? And if you don't know that, you have no business beginning to persuade or pressure or put any sort of moves on the other side until you actually know what it is that they want. It may not be the price. So if you're negotiating for a car or a home or a business, oh, there's a price. But that don't assume that's the most important thing to that person. Just do not get information by asking questions. Be curious. It's the number one tool of the most successful people I've ever met in my life are the most curious people that you've ever met. The people that have the most seem to ask the most questions and remain curious all the way through their life. My uncle was 96 when he passed last August. He was curious to the day he died, constantly asking questions, and one of the most successful people I've ever met, financially and, and otherwise. Okay. Uh, so how can we apply this idea of negotiating uh, to, I mean, you, you, you mentioned, I mean, you got dark for a minute, hostage situation, negotiating hostage, but you know, it's business. It's uh, uh, negotiating for a new job, right? You're, it is a negotiation. Even the interview process or everything else is a negotiation, obviously real estate, because that's your forte, um, uh, you know, is another one. What, I mean, how do we apply this idea of negotiating to our own lives? Well, the third step, I think, might answer that question, and that's M for measurement. So we have A for aim, I for information, M for measure, which all together spells aim. Uh, measure and keep track as you go. So we're, be honest about where you are. You already know where you want to go. Be really honest about where you are and take a measurement as you go. Measure your results because this will tell you and help you track where you are. How close to your aim might you be and not know it because you've not been measuring your progress. Sometimes we'll have 12 points. Okay, 
in a negotiation, I've got these 12 things. Ultimately, I want to achieve X, Y, or Z, but I'm going to there's these 12 steps along the way. You might be halfway through and not know it. You might be on step 11 and a half. You might be so close but not know it if you're not measuring. And when you are measuring, then you can start to put into a hierarchy what really matters. If there's 12 points, let's say, of importance to you in this negotiation, and you're at level six, for example, and there's six remaining, out of those six remaining, what really matters? What's the most important? What's fundamental? And what are you willing to give up out of those final six, if any, as you take stock of what you actually want? And again, to your point, this could all be applied with any aspect of life. You mentioned hostage negotiations. I had the great pleasure and honor of interviewing Herb Cohen a couple of years ago, the greatest negotiator to ever live. He negotiated for three presidents, uh, Johnson, Carter, and Reagan. By the way, of the three, he said Carter wouldn't listen to him because uh, he was brought in, Herb was brought in to help negotiate for the Iranian hostages, and he wouldn't listen. And he would not take any of Herb's advice. President Reagan did. Anyway, that's an aside. But he said one time in Canada, there was a banker whose wife was taken hostage. And the hostage takers wanted $100,000. Or I, I think, in fact, it was $200,000 for her life. The, before Herb got involved, the banker himself tried to negotiate him down to 100000 Even though he had more than enough to pay for his wife's ransom, he was trying to negotiate with him on the price. And, and uh, anyway, Herb got involved. The wife's life was saved. However, the marriage wasn't the marriage. Once she found out that the husband had tried to negotiate down on the money, uh, she said, that's it, we're done. But yeah, in the game of life, one final secret, and I think this can apply to almost everything we, we've ever talked about, but it really underlines negotiating and, and be willing to walk away from the table, but don't threaten it, but be willing to walk away. And here's just one punchline that underlines everything that I've ever learned about negotiating, care but not that much. You've got to care, care, but not that much. But uh, I've heard that before, and I always thought, man, that's kind of cynical. You know, care, but not that much. You know, like, I care about it, but I don't really care about it that much. Well, uh, let me explain to you why it's so important, because it removes emotions. Once you remove the emotional component from a negotiation, you've already won, because it's emotions that can drag you down. It's an emotional process sometimes, but that's why it's so important to have a disinterested third party, such as in her example of him negotiating for the wife's life versus the husband. He right. was not disinterested. Uh, you need that third party perspective. You need a realtor, for example, involved to help you sell something that, that you're emotionally attached to. Sometimes right. you can't remove your own emotions and that disinterested third party can help you. That's why coaching, Getting a coach is so important, life coach or otherwise, really important to help you see that this is a game you should care, but not that much because you, if you care too much, you're emotionally clouded and you can't see the, the, the destination or maybe you can't see how close you are to actually achieving what it is you want. Well, in, 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 real, in real estate, I'm sure you've seen that before where people are like, this is the house. This is my dream house. I love this house. I, I want to negotiate, but I'm, oh, I'm so invested in it because this is the one. And that's that again, that's problematic because a lot of times that can be seen by the other side and they know their negotiations just got a whole lot easier. Or blinds you to other things, to maybe deficiencies or blinds you to other things that you could have and would have asked for and maybe gotten. And the converse is true as well. I raised my children in this home. 
How dare you? How dare you offer me something less than I'm asking? I raised my family here. I love my home that I'm selling. So it's the same thing with, with cars or anything else. When we have an emotional attachment, uh, that's when we need to bring out that sentence. I care, but not that much. Okay, so AIM. <clears throat> AIM uh, is your key to negotiation. And uh, and then, of course, the secret sauce is care, but not that much in the end. Am I catching all that right? You got to get all the information you can, ask as many questions as possible, and measure progress as you go. There's no too small of a point with which you can measure because it helps you understand how close to winning you are. And the other thing that Herb Cohen taught me was win-win. And he actually really developed that whole concept of that every negotiation can truly be a win-win. And some people can't see that. that in other, for me to win, you've got to die. That right. isn't the case. Right. Real good negotiations. Both parties can get what they want. Well, maybe you should go down to the legislature and teach these people about negotiation, Chris. That's what I'm saying right now. Maybe that should be your new calling. You go down to the legislature and teach these people how and it can all be a win-win. You don't have to murder your opponent to be able to declare victory. Um, that would be that would be an interesting that would be an interesting uh, uh <laughs> That'd be an interesting challenge for you. I would say that for sure. Uh, Chris Story is our yeah. guest, uh, the man from Homer. I love HomerAlaska.com. Chris, uh, give me an update. What do you got going on? I know you're doing the podcast. You're got your radio show. You got your books. What, give us an update here before we let you go for today uh, as to what everything's, what's going on, and where people can find you, and what they need. You know, go, he, go, fly, be free. Go. <laughs> okay, got it. Well, thank you, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity to to plug anything we're doing here. Truthfully, um, I'm just really excited about this year. My word for this year is leap, and I'm leaping towards something that I've wanted to do for a long time, that I'm actually making a leap with a measured goal, and I'm starting to partner with somebody. I'll tell you more about it in a couple of weeks, but I'm starting a partnership that I think is going to take us very, very far. At least when I say us, I mean our production company. So I'm very excited about that. I'll just say this. It's leaping, and for me, I'm putting the parachute together after I jumped out of the building. I'm very excited <laughs> about it, but I, I couldn't hard, I can't hardly sleep, and I wake up early working on this, so I'm really excited about it. But still, stay tuned. I'll let you know here in a couple of weeks. You should never assemble the parachute after you leave the aircraft. I just want to point that out to I, you. That, you know, it's the exciting part of it. <laughs> it's, it's it's terrifying, but it's exciting. I mean, it's it's good stuff. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, Chris Story, uh, the man from Homer. Again, you could find him at ilovehomeralaska.com. His book, The Backyard Millionaire, is available right now on Amazon uh, for you to view and to read. And, of course, also uh, available on Audible, read by yours truly. That's my own selfless plug. You can go check it out over there. And, Chris, last week you gave away a bunch of uh, of PDFs uh, to folks that sent you a text message. Uh, that dealt a little bit with negotiation and everything else. You want to throw that out there again one more time for folks? Yeah, absolutely. It's called The Millionaire Maker, Six Practical Steps to Your First Four Homes, and I love sharing that. And the, the byline of that little booklet is, if I can do it, you can do it. And it really is a step-by-step -step process, six steps that if you follow them, you'll end up not just with four homes, but a whole different outlook and lifestyle and maybe end up with 22 homes. It, it may take you well beyond the first four homes, but if you got four homes, you're a millionaire and this is the steps to get there. And if you want it, text me 299-7653 and I'll send it out. Like I say, last week we sent out a couple dozen. I'd love to send out more.
Yep. So just send your email address to 907-299-7653 and get a copy of Chris Story's little uh a uh, little uh, brochure, pamphlet, little booklet, however you want to put it, in PDF form, The Millionaire Maker. Chris Story, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on board and uh, and joining us today. My pleasure. We love, we love having you. All right, folks, we are coming up on the break. we got to go. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Going to open up the phone lines for Open Line, Open Forum for the last segment just because... I want to hear more ideas on your solutions to what's happening out there. Since uh, some people didn't like my ideas or the guests' ideas, I thought, well, we'll just see what what are, what are your solutions then. Uh, we'll have those conversations and more. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Chris Story uh, finishes up with us here. Kind enough to stick around with us for a few minutes here. Uh, any final thoughts, Chris, on anything? I mean, I don't know if you were listening to the show earlier or anything, you know, applying your ideas to what we're talking about here. But whatever whatever your final thoughts here, I always like to give you the floor for the last couple minutes. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, my, my thoughts... I, I honestly, and I've, you and I've talked about this many times before, I do not believe that there's any basis for an argument that a tax, an income tax in Alaska will quote unquote engage the top 20%. To me, that's, um, and, and I think you, you proved the point when you said to that other caller that every dollar given to Juno will be spent. Until that mindset changes, sending more dollars doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, let's send some more gasoline because the people that are giving up the gas will care more, even though it's being burnt up as fast as it's sent to Juno. But I know Brad's been on that for years and years, and it just doesn't work. And we have the proof positive in the United States of America. We have some of the highest taxes and the least engagement. It's not changing. It's not working. I think we need to change a mindset, a certain mindset, which is to say the we are responsible for who goes to Juno and the decisions made. Move the capital, move the legislative uh, body to, to Wasilla or wherever. It doesn't matter. The mindset's what's got to be changed. We have to change the minds of the people and raise people up from the bottom and not hanging on to the life preserver of the PFD. It's It could go away tomorrow, and I want your life to be better, irrespective of that dollar not coming in. We need to help each other build up our own economy such that we're not reliant upon that. Even though it's being misused and you're 100% correct, we need to change and alter the mindset that wastes it or that takes it unconstitutionally. Something's got to change. But it's, to me, it's got to be the mindset first of who we send to Juno. Secondly, we have to change our own circumstances here in Alaska such that we're not going to be wagged by that tail. But does that preclude us having the discussion? Because I think that's the problem. Like, we're already being taxed, right? The PFD is being taken. It's being stolen. It's being, uh, you know, a, a, a sore absorbed, absconded mm -hmm. with, whatever word yeah. you want to use. We're already being taxed. So shouldn't we at least have Absolutely. the conversation about is there an alternative? Is there a better way to take that revenue? Now, again, here's the here's where well, it's not revenue. And that's I would push back on Brad on that as well. It's not revenue. It's taxation. Yeah, it is dollars taxation. taken out of your pocket. Don't call it revenue, yeah. Brad, when it's actually a tax. 
That's my well, point there. Well, it, it, it is a tax, but I guess what I'm saying is, and I, and I guess what Brad, where you and I agree and where Brad and I disagree uh, is is in the precluding of if you create this new, if you create a new tax, whatever it is, income tax, sales tax, what I mean, whatever, whatever flavor of poison you want, um, it would have to in some way uh, guarantee that they would stop tapping into the dividend, unfortunately, because otherwise it would just be, again, more money in the room. Uh, and there is no guarantee to that. But at least we should have the conversation, as I said earlier, if you're going to have to take poison, you should at least p- pick the one that's the least painful or pick the one that kills you slowly or whatever it is, right? Right. I mean, we're but not, definitely, I, but not under the guise that it's going to help engage the top 20%. That's simply class warfare, and it doesn't and will not work. We've proven it all across this country since uh, whenever the taxation was income tax was deployed, it doesn't work. And so that's a false premise. And I think it's a false dichotomy that needs to be just abandoned. So, you know, that's well, that ain't going to work. Well, the it, fight strategy may be wrong. Uh, maybe. I mean, I, you know, the, I could see what you're saying on that. But the facts of what he's laying out are not wrong, that the top 20 percent are the least affected by this. And until they get engaged and I don't know how else we get them engaged until they get engaged and have skin in the game, so to speak, as far as, you know, the size and scope of government affects their pocketbook directly. I don't know. So here's how to how we're going to from do my it. perspective. Yeah. And I know you've got to probably run here, but my perspective is let's focus on not class warfare that the top 20 percent aren't feeling the cost of eggs or the, the the dividend being stripped away but just admit what's actually happening the pfd taking is unconstitutional and is a taxation uh and might argue without representation because it's being taken out the back door illegally that's fine let's admit that get that on the table and then how can we grow our own personal economy and our own community's economy so much so that we're not dependent yeah. upon that PFD to circulate through the economy uh, and create wealth for us? Yeah. Well, then that's been my argument for the last 10 years is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. get your own house in order. Get everything that you can mm-hmm. to be, you know, uh, successful, wealthy, to isolate yourself from the outside world's vagaries and problems. And then no matter what comes, you're going to be prepared. If it gets better, so be it. Uh, if it gets worse, yeah, so be it, right? And that's kind of what we have to We have to look to our own house as far as uh, they go. Yes. Become right. the best you could possibly be. All right. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate letting me speak my mind, brother. Keep, speak it, speak it, brother. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks for coming in and joining us today, Chris. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer, uh, joining us here on the program today, talking about uh, all the good stuff. All the good stuff. That's what's happening. All right, we're 10 seconds out right now. Uh, we're going to have the phone lines are going to be open, and we're going to uh, crack uh, crack them open and see what folks out there have to say. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based. Okay, um, well, one final segment of the program today, and I'm opening up the phone lines uh, again, just like we did at the first part of the hour, because if you don't like the suggestions that uh, have been brought forward on the program by me or by guests or by anything else, 
then what is your solution? Now, Chris and I just were talking about it off the air here with the listeners in the chat room. And, and I think, you know, here's here's the ultimate, the personal solution. And I, I got a phone call. I'm going to get to it here in just a hot second. Don't go anywhere. But my personal solution is you need to get your own house in order. You need to solidify your own wealth, health, prosperity. Do the best you can to focus on that. And then no matter what happens, good or bad, if it gets better in the state, so be it. If it gets worse in the state, so be it. You are as protected or as isolated or as, you know, shelled as you can be uh, against those things. And uh, we're just going to have to we're going to have to keep working it. But that's my personal solution. Now, as far as fixing what's wrong in the state. I mean, I'm all open to ideas, and that's why I love to have all these different conversations, even when, uh, you know, even when we disagree with things. Um, I think we have to have the conversation, even if the subject matter or the idea may be unpalatable, we at least have to discuss it. But I want to see what you have to say. 907-433-3150. Let's go over to the phones and see who's there. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Jay from North Pole. Hello, Jay. So I was thinking about uh, the, the state's budget and whatnot, and I was thinking we just need to abandon the PFD as residents and just let the state have that because they're going to take it anyway. That's the current trajectory they're headed down. And with that said, I think we need to create our own parallel PFD in the private sector, something we can all have skin in the game. And my immediate thought on that would be to create a cryptocurrency that can be used by Alaskans for Alaskans. And there's many municipalities that have already done this, like Miami has a cryptocurrency that they use that sort of functions in that manner. And I thought, you know, with a the PFD, I've, if I understand it right, was funded by different companies in Alaska. No. If we the, could get those same companies and private citizens to all invest seed money into like a cryptocurrency for Alaska, maybe that could set people up better. The permanent fund was funded. I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, no, the permanent fund was funded initially by oil revenues that were the state received. So it's all monies that came in from the resources. It had nothing to do with private companies. It was a function of the taxation of the 12.5% that uh, Alaska, they received 12.5% of all the oil that is being produced on their lands, and that money in the form of revenues then was put into the account, and then it built up, and, and that's where the original permanent fund came from. Uh, but I want to touch I, I want to touch back here on your okay, idea of you. – I want to touch back on your idea of just basically abandoning the permanent fund. So let me ask you this, Jay, because, again, this is my argument uh, with Brad, uh, and I think Chris just kind of hit on it as well. Here's the thing. Here's what I see. If we just throw our hands up in the air and say, fine, take the PFD, what do you think is going to happen in five years? Um, Because what we've seen, of course, is the appetite for consumption uh, at the governmental level is enormous. They consume all the money and then some. Uh, We've seen the size and scope of state government grow and grow and grow and grow. And if we take the permanent fund out of the mix and give them all that money, what happens in five years when they've spent that 
and they want to increase it even more. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, they would inevitably take it all up, and they would need more revenue from something, more tax money somehow. But, would, yeah. uh, I'm just thinking more of an immediate solution. Well, but the immediate solution, I don't know if the immediate solution to somebody who's holding you hostage or, or extorting you is to just turn around and give them all the money right there. You know, if you're if you're being blackmailed and you're like, look, I'll give you all the money right here. There's nothing to stop them from coming back later and saying, OK, fine, uh, we've spent all that and now we want more. There will be taxes. I mean, even if we didn't give up the dividend, even if we just keep fighting and they slowly chisel away at it, eventually the dividend will be gone. And then what are we going to do? Then we're going to be facing taxes anyway. So why not have the fight now? Why not have the fight now, potentially save some of the dividend and be able to hold them back on the, on, uh, on everything else? Uh, to me, that you know, the, the ultimate ideal would be to take the PFD off the table. If we could constitutionalize the PFD at the full statutory amount or, or even the 50-50 amount, which I know is people are their eyes are shooting blood right now because I said that. But if we could if we could constitutionalize it at one point or another, <laughs> it takes that pot of money off the table. Now they have to face the true realities of, well, what do we do now? Because if you take the PFD out of the equation, the next thing that would have to be discussed is taxation because they can't control their spending. So if the PFD was off the table tomorrow, they would have a huge deficit, a big hole in the budget with no way to plug it other than to either tax the people or to cut. And, and uh, you know, so maybe I agree with you on that. Yeah, point. maybe that's the solution. We but I think we have to fight the fight now, Jay. We can't wait. We can't give up and say, take the money and we'll come back in five years and have this fight again. We need to have the fight now. I, I agree with you on that point. I just feel like uh, as private citizens, we have the ability to find a complete solution to this in the free market just not even worry about what the state government does well i think we have to i mean i, I think feel we, like we can yeah, get a lot more money i think we have to embrace the idea of the free market and we should be when i talk about taking care of ourselves and getting your own house in order i'm definitely addressing it to the free market that way whatever the government does is something else but i don't know is there is there's the appetite to create some kind of permanent fund or something else in the free market i mean it's an interesting idea but i think again we have to fight this fight now and because if we don't we're just we're we're being cowards and we're just leaving it to our children or to our children's children to have to fight we need to fight that fight now so Jay, I appreciate your ideas. I okay. appreci appreciate you calling in. Thank you for being part of it today and uh, coming in and uh, joining us. Uh, all right. Coming up on uh, the program this week, uh, we're going to be oof, too many, too many uh, text messages here. Uh, we've got Kelly Chewbacca. She's going to be joining us on Thursday. She's going to be talking with us about ranked choice voting. I don't know if you saw the article. Uh, but she is out there forming a group that's going to be dealing with education on ranked choice. She's not going to be dealing with the ballot initiatives or anything else, but she's going to go out there and start educating people on ranked choice and how it's problematic uh, for many reasons uh, and everything else. But we're going to be talking with Kelly Chewbacca about that on Thursday. 
Uh, we're hoping to have Kathy Tilton on, I believe, Thursday or maybe tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. And then on Friday, Dr. John Lott is going to be joining us. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking with him uh, uh, about a plethora of things. He's his his uh, his, t- t- his testimony in front of Congress. He's got a new article out uh, that we talked a little bit about last week from the Crime Policy uh, uh, Crime Policy Research Center. Uh, he's going to talk about the new gun regulations, how it is discriminatory against uh, uh, against the handicapped and the disabled. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be a full, it's going to be a full discussion and I can't wait to to have it. That's going to be this Friday for firearms Friday and we'll fill it out with some other stuff. Don't forget. You can always go back and listen to the show on the podcast. If you missed it available on Castbox, Stitcher, Google play, iTunes, and of course, Spotify. And we'll be back tomorrow morning. If you'd like to support the show, Check us out on MichaelDukeShow.com and click on Join the Corps to become a member of the Common Sense Corps. That's how you help support the show and make things better every day. All right, folks, we're out of time for today. Be kind, love one another, live well, and think about this stuff. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. All right, my friends. I appreciate you guys coming back and being part of it with us today. Yeah, Rob Meyer says, hard to have a free market when government owns the resources. It's true. It's true. It's, uh, it's going to be fun stuff. I don't even know why he watches this show. I really don't. I just don't even know why. They need to cut their decadent spending. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That's been the, that's been what we've trumpeted for years. All right, we got, uh, we got to go tomorrow. Like I said, maybe Kathy Tilton tomorrow, but she maybe Thursday. We'll see where where we're at. She agreed last week to come back on the show. Uh, we may hear from Mike Shower, and all uh, oh, I don't know, more stuff. We're gonna be back. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. You guys have a great day.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 